This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Just because school is out for many different school districts around the country, that doesn't mean it's not an opportune time to look at the state of education in America and the world. In fact, it might be the best time to do so. Did you know high schoolers in Taiwan, a.k.a. Formosa, will be able to take up to three days off per semester for mental health purposes under new guidelines aimed at addressing student well-being. Several Taiwanese universities embraced mental health leave policies starting in 2022 and during the previous academic year. Students at 11 colleges took more than 29,000 mental health days, according to the Taipei Times. Young people globally are reporting higher levels of emotional distress. We've talked about this before. I think there are a variety of factors responsible for this. This is a pattern, though, young people suffering from uh, higher levels of emotional distress that is partly attributed to the COVID pandemic, but I don't think it can be entirely attributed to that. I think there are a wide variety of causes going into this. Governments around the globe have increasingly turned to additional days off as a partial solution. More than 10 states in the U.S. now allow children to take an excused absence if they feel depressed, or anxious, or they just need to recharge. I have to tell you, I think this is a good idea. And, you know, maybe some people are going to think this is the coddling of young people uh, in the 21st century. I don't view it that way. I think there are just some days when you need a day off, right? When you're not sick, when you don't have a death in the family, where you just need a day off. And I I think this applies to adults, too. You just need a day to collect your thoughts and chill out a bit. And I think, look, I I don't know what the uh, research shows about what these mental health days actually do for a young person's mental well-being or emotional well-being. I don't think this is the worst idea in the world. I think it's a pretty good idea, actually. So I'm all I'm all for this. Love to know what you think. 800-848-9222. The rise of mental health days. No excuse 
absences that you can take, up to three, let's say, per semester, that will not count against you. I think it's a pretty good idea. I think young people are having a tough time in this country and clearly in other places. And if this is something that allows them to be a little less anxious, so be it. Now, obviously, if this were to be more widely adopted beyond the 11 states that this is our currently in, you may have young people using this to their advantage. Because I'll tell you what I would do when I was in school is I would use this to take the day off when I had a project due or had a test or had a big homework assignment due that I hadn't done, and then I would just um, take my mental health day that day and then use that mental health day to work on this project that I had been ignoring for the last three weeks and then hand it in the next day. That's not really the purpose of why these exist. So I'm not sure how to implement this kind of a system so that it can be used for its intended purpose. But there's got to be a way. Maybe there's not. I was the worst with this stuff. All the way up to college. If you gave me something that was due on March 21st, I would start working on it on March 22nd. Every assignment that I ever did in school was handed in late. And that was really the one thing that kept me from getting very good grades in in junior high school, high school, and, and college. I would procrastinate, 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 focus on other things, and then hand in the work late and beg the teacher to accept it. Sometimes she would with a penalty and sometimes she wouldn't. And really you hurt my grades. So if they had this mental health day when I was a young person, would have loved it. I'll tell you what else is happening in schools that is changing. How did you get to school when you were a young person? I mean, I guess in my case, I got to school different ways at different times, depending on what school that I was going to. But when I was in elementary school, I would take the bus. I'm trying to think. When I was in high school, I took the the city bus, right? So I would take the school bus when I was in junior high school and I think middle school. And then I would take the city bus when I was in high school. Once in a while, I would get a ride from my grandfather or my mother. But for the most part, I took the bus. Well, for many families, school pickup lines are replacing the yellow bus. Really interesting. A majority of U.S. students now arrive at school in private cars. Big article in the Washington Post about this. This trend accelerated during the pandemic, and it's being fueled by a shortage of bus routes and drivers. Last year, actually in 2022, 53% of kindergarten through 12th graders got dropped off or drove themselves in a private car. Obviously, that's more the seniors in high school than the kindergartners. But they came to school in a private car, while 33% took the bus. That is according to the Washington Post's analysis of National Household Travel Survey data. Only, and this was really interesting, Only 11% of students walked or biked to school, a proportion that's been falling for decades. So in addition to the reduced availability of these buses, remote work is another reason that parents are more likely to drive their kids. The parents are working from home. They're home with the kids. They're home with the car. 
And before they start their workday, since they're not commuting, they're dropping the children off at school. And uh, not all parents have that option. So bus cutbacks may be helping to drive the rise in absenteeism that we've been talking about as well that has gotten worse since the pandemic. So if you want to comment on either the rise in children being dropped off in private cars or the debate over mental health days, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. But... That leads us to what I think is the most interesting story regarding education in this country. We have covered this story at length. My friend Mike Porcelli has called into this show many times. He's been in studio on this subject many times. The issue of vocational training. Years ago, we in this country developed this mentality that everybody that's in high school should be prepared for college, when the truth is a much better route for a lot of people and one that would serve them much better rather than have them prepare for jeopardy in their senior year in high school is vocational training. Learn to be a mechanic, an electrician, a carpenter. Learn a trade. And we've gotten away from that in recent years. There is a town in Maine a state that I've never been to, but I really want to go to because they have ranked choice voting. It's um, a town in Maine called St. George, or as the natives call it, San Giorgio. And St. George, Maine, they wanted to be part of this vocational training. Vocational and technical courses have made a big comeback the last few years in American education. But in St. George... When residents of that community, which is a very big lobster community, which is another reason I'd love to go there because I love lobster. When they sought to reintroduce shop class and career training to their local schools a decade ago, they discovered an unexpected problem. The rules of the regional school district wouldn't allow it. So 10 years ago, St. George residents voted 1,163 to 226 to break free and create their own district. And once they essentially seceded and started their new school district, one of the first things they did with that independence was develop a trade program. So this town of St. George, which includes the villages of Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor, it sits on a peninsula that juts out into the um, city of Rockland, and the economy is built around lobstering, and it has been for generations. Parents there are uniquely driven, and there was a big article on this in the Wall Street Journal opinion section over the weekend by Sierra Dawn McLean. Parents there are driven, desperate even, to make this trade program successful. They view lobster fishing as being under threat from federal environmental regulations and the possible construction of offshore wind turbines. Uh, Add that to the problems that I have with offshore wind turbines. If the lobster industry collapses for this community, it's going to be like what happened in parts of Ohio and the Rust Belt when auto manufacturing collapsed in this country and manufacturing in general collapsed in this country, and you're going to see a tremendous job exodus 
So the parents in this community that know that their jobs are going to be uh, made obsolete because of the factors that I just mentioned, they want their children to have other career options because they want to keep their town alive. So the district is unusual in that it doesn't wait until students reach high school to incorporate career and technical training into the curriculum. And they start as early as the as elementary school. Fourth graders are designing three-dimensional objects on Tinkercad. Do you know what Tinkercad is? I had no idea. It's a basic engineering software system. Fourth graders are using it. Middle schoolers made insulation for miniature satellites. Kindergartners and first graders are sporting safety goggles and tool belts enthusiastically hammering at wooden boxes they've designed. I think this is great. In this journal opinion piece, there's one eighth grader, William B.J. Hollowell, who's been, they profile who's benefited from this. He had a very poor performance in school who made a U-turn as soon as he was introduced to the trades. And his yard is now cluttered with tractors and snowmobiles that he's taken apart, and he's hoping to become an engineer. I think this is wonderful. Now, St. George did this out of necessity. But I think more and more communities should offer this because what have we been talking about? We are seeing, we're in the midst of watching a tremendous change in our economy. People are being replaced by robots and AI. I went to the grocery store maybe about three weeks ago. I think there was one register with a person. Everything else was self-checkout. A computer has taken the job of a person. Read an article yesterday that um, they're now using AI to lay bricks. Think of all the people in the construction field that are employed because they're laying bricks. And those jobs will go away due to AI. There's a lot happening on the AI front, and I I didn't want to get into this today. uh, But they're now in a position where the people that brought you ChatGPT and the AI art, you can now type in a text prompt, and it'll create a video based on whatever your text So you could say, show me a stylish woman in a red dress and um, leather boots walking in Tokyo, wearing sunglasses on a very crowded street, and it'll create that video for you. Think of what that will do to the people in the video industry, in the entertainment industry, in the film industry. We've already talked about the hazards when it comes to um, radio. So the, the issue is... We're in the process of seeing our economy transition to something else. And I think the more people that we can have that know how to build things, that know how to repair things, that know how to fix things, that know how to, um, uh, you know, participate in the trades, I think the better we're going to be as a country. Because we, um, you know, we've talked about this before. But I think the problem's only gotten more urgent, and I applaud what this town in Maine is doing, and I hope more towns follow their lead here.
uh, you know, I always use the example from, I think, the restaurant, the end of the universe, or the book Life, the Universe, and Everything. One of those Douglas Adams book books that's a sequel to uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they have this group of people, the Gulgafrinchians, that accomplished nothing. A lot of people in middle management who did things like uh, be telephone sanitizers, and they sent those people away. And I think that, um, you know, we're in danger in this country of becoming a country that doesn't make anything. And I think that's a big problem. So the more young people can learn these trades, and look, I want to be very honest, I say this as somebody and I'm embarrassed about this, that uh, doesn't do anything in terms of electrical work, in terms of plumbing, or in terms of carpentry. I'd like to get better, and I think I have gotten a little bit better, but um, I watch my dad, who is, again, a a college-educated economist, very bright guy, was vice president of a health insurance company. He can build almost anything you can conceive. He can repair things without an instruction manual and without having to run to YouTube. I can't do that in my um, wildest dreams. So I I think that what this town, St. George, is doing is great. Because um, I, I fear that we're becoming a country that doesn't know how to do anything. The Golgofrinchians were hairdressers and telephone sanitizers, and at least hairdressers have more of a purpose than what uh, what some of these jobs that are rapidly being made obsolete from technology. So I'd love to hear your view on any of those three education-related topics. Kids are being dropped off instead of taking the bus or walking to school. Mental health days are becoming a thing around the world. And uh, this uh, vocational training is making a comeback in school. And one community even seceded from the community that they were a part of just so they could make sure their kids were learning it. And I applaud those parents that did that. And I wish every school district would do the same thing. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, With all this banter I've been hearing about the workplace lunch situation, it brought back memories when I worked in a factory 50 years ago. And uh, it had the same policy. You had to put your name on the bag. But my friend's lunch would go missing almost every day. Was his name on it? it? Yeah. And it, it clearly he was being targeted because other people with better lunches, they left them alone, but just his would be missing. So he got fed up with this. And he just happened to have a newborn at home. So he uh, took some of the stuff out of the diaper and spread it on some bread, and put some jelly on it, and it looked exactly <laughs> like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He put his name on the bag, put it in. Sure enough, it was missing. And surprise, surprise, Frank, his lunch never went missing again. That is very, uh, very funny. I, uh, I, You know, look, I uh, don't want to encourage that kind of conduct, but someone that would eat someone else's food that's labeled, I have very little sympathy for them. Very little sympathy. That's uh, not at all what uh, what I'm doing. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me mention this. So the no labels movement has been something that we've been talking about for a while that really everybody has been talking about. And Joe Manchin was thought to be no labels. If you're not familiar with it, is this group that has been in the process of 
qualifying an independent candidate around the country. And they've got ballot access in over a dozen states so far, which is very tough, very tough. And so what they've been saying is that if it's a Trump versus Biden rematch, then uh, they would go forward with nominating a ticket of one Democrat and one Republican because folks are unhappy with that, uh, you know, that matchup of Trump and Biden. So one of the people that's been mentioned as one of the most likely candidates for this has been Joe Manchin. And ever since he announced in November that he would not run for re-election, he's been the subject of months of guesswork about whether he would seek the presidency as the no-labels candidate. Well, on Friday, he gave us his answer. I will not be seeking a third-party run. I will not be involved in a presidential run. I will be involved in making sure that we secure a president that has the knowledge and has the passion and has the ability to bring this country together. He then continued, he's saying he will not be a deal-breaker or a spoiler. Basically, reading between the lines, he said, uh, he didn't say, but he basically implied that he did not want to play a role in re-electing Donald Trump. He didn't want enough folks voting for him to allow Trump to slip in with a plurality. So, okay, Manchin crossed off. Another guy people were talking about was former governor of Maryland, Republican, moderate Republican, Larry Hogan. And he was leaving the door open for it. Well, last week we learned that he's not running for president either. In what's the best possible news for Republicans He's running for U.S. Senate in Maryland. This is the Democrats' works nightmare because the retiring Senator Ben Cardin, the, the Senator incumbent Senator Ben Cardin, is retiring. This had been a safe Democratic seat. Now, with Larry Hogan, who had something like a 70% approval rating when he left office as a Republican governor, with him running, he might win, he might lose. But this is now a seat that was safely blue that the Democrats are now going to have to fight for. Because Hogan is so popular in that state. So Hogan is out. He's not running as the no-labels candidate. He actually went so far as to quit the no-labels board. So who else might be the candidate? Some people talk about Nikki Haley. Uh, Some people talk about Liz Cheney. Some people have talked about Chris Christie. I think all of those choices, except maybe Haley, would be uh, very poor. Um, The group's co-chairman... Former Senator Joe Lieberman, who's been a guest on this show, talking about this. Former Governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory, and um, civil rights leader Ben Chavis said they are going to announce in the coming weeks whether they will offer their line to a unity ticket. Yesterday, Ben Chavis was on MSNBC, and he seemed to give us a little insight into when they would be making a decision. He was Ben Chavis. Dr. Chavis, so you have Manchin out. Um, Governor Hogan of Maryland is going to run for the U.S. Senate. Ambassador Huntsman has said it is unlikely that he's going to run. Who then are you talking with? Well, we're talking with several exceptional leaders. Uh, we have our own internal process. And uh, first of all, we welcome uh, Senator Manchin's uh, commitment to continue to work for the common sense majority. As we said, um, No Labels has worked 14 years to build a movement uh, to represent the common sense majority of all Americans. 
And of course, my background is civil rights. I'm, I believe in extending voting rights to all Americans, making sure that every uh, state has ballot access based on the will of the people of those states. So, um, you know, I'm not going to name any names. I can just say uh, without fear of contradiction that we are still talking to uh, several exceptional leaders. And in the next couple of weeks or more, we will probably make an announcement whether or not we would give the ballot access uh, to a unity ticket. A unity ticket means a Republican and a Democrat. And we are talking to Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So he didn't say who it would be, but he said essentially that they are going, they will have decided whether to run their own ticket and who its ticket will be by two weeks from now. So that's pretty interesting. The fact that we could have a third major candidate in the race two weeks from now. What I find really bizarre and odd about this whole no labels process is when Ben Chavis says we have our own internal process that we're going to go through. Well, we've had a lot of no labels leaders on the show, Joe Lieberman, Ryan Clancy, Pat McCrory, and others, Admiral Dennis Blair. What did each of them tell me that this would be a grassroots decision that this would be something that anybody that's a no label that signed up for no labels could play a role in. There was even talk of a, a convention, or at least an online convention. How are they going to pick a candidate? It, it sounds like this is not at all a grassroots effort. This sounds like this is a group of insiders dominated by whoever gave this group money. And we don't know who's given them money. They won't disclose it. <laughs> so it sounds like by whatever rules they have determined, they're going to pick a candidate and the individual people that signed up for no labels, which I did, we have no role in the process whatsoever. And that doesn't sound very democratic at all. What's democratic about picking a candidate solely based on whatever the people that put this group together want to do? Now, if that's what you wanted to do, you should have said that. Instead of making us go through this kabuki dance for the last two years where you would put out there to the public, oh, yeah, yeah, regular people can participate. Regular people are going to have an opportunity to choose among the candidates. Well, we don't even know who the candidates are. Ben Chavis keeps saying, oh, we're we're having conversations with candidates. We're having conversations with people that are interested. Who? Who? And how are regular people going to have any say in that? At this point, you know, I'm always complaining about how undemocratic the Democratic and Republican primaries are because by the time your state gets to vote, chances are any candidate that you want to vote for is out. No labels is even worse, it looks like. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, Noam Layden is here. Let me squeeze in a few quick calls here before we get to Noam. Joe is in Lindbrook. Hi, no- Hi Joe. Hey, I, I know you're a little past this whole school issue, but you know what? You're talking about the busing. I grew up on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. I was in Hutland Village. We, w- I went to PS sixty nine and IS seventy two, and we walked. Sure, I know the neighborhood well. I used to live not far from there. Well, and then when I went to Port Richmond, I had to walk down Nome Avenue, all right, and wait for the corner bus to go to Port Richmond. All right. Well, and so tell me what you make of this trend of children not taking buses anymore. Uh, do, you, do you really want me to say it on on the radio? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I can't imagine it's so offensive that people are going to tune out if you say it. Yeah, say it. Well, school buses. You know, I walked. Matter of fact, I was a latchkey kid. 
Okay. And, you know, it's, I mean, they have to walk. I mean, either walk, take public transportation like we did. Yeah, well, I, I, Joe, I agree. I uh, I totally understand that. And I guess, you know, for the factors that I mentioned, kids are not doing that these days. And part of it is due to the school bus shortage. But um, obviously that wouldn't apply to kids that live close enough as you did to school. And I'm glad you got that opportunity. I used to walk home from school uh, because, well, whatever. You don't need to get into my whole situation. 800-848-9222. Maria is on Long Island. Hi, Maria. Hi, Annie. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, we took the bus from Island Park to West Hempstead. It was a 40-minute bus ride to high school because Island Park didn't have a high school. Wow. On, on the kids with the absentees, with the extra three-day mental health, you talked about this last week. There's a certain amount of days children have to be in school. So I don't know how they're going to work that out with the sick days anyway. Well, mental but health days, was, not sick days. Yeah. You know, and... um a lot of parents do drive their kids to school because they don't want them to be on the buses for a lot of reasons. But two other quick things. Um, I sent you some mail, in the mail, regular mail, you know, with a postage stamp. Right, snail mail. And I know you said that you didn't get it last week, and I was wondering, because I sent you another thing. So maybe I'll email you my birthday list of songs. Well, it sounds good, Maria. I hope you do. Yeah, I don't think uh, they've made a trip to the P.O. Box in a while, but I will follow up with the powers that problem. be here, and I will find out. Thank you, Maria. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. What's on your mind, Robert? Hi, Frank. Vocational education is the best thing that teenagers can have when they're in high school. It opens up a whole world of opportunities to them that they otherwise may not have. And it also helps prepare them with many skills that will help them in life after school. For example, I took, I changed schools between the summer of 10th and 11th grade. I went from Catholic schools to public school. Why? Because they had industrial arts, vocational courses, mechanical drawing, architecture, wood shop, metal shop, and other courses like that which I was able to use my head, use my hands, make things, fix things. And it's helped guide me throughout my life. And I was able to get jobs, too, with the skills that I acquired. Well, that's wonderful, and Robert. I mean, that's exactly what I'm hoping to do here, Robert. Thank you. Uh, let me get in at least one more call here before we get to know him later. John Vito is on Staten Island. Hi, John Vito. Hey, what a pleasure. You know, Likewise. I'm so... It, it, it's 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 agree that I woke up to make a stop. Wonderful, okay? wonderful. I'm my, my age. You got to make a stop or two. <laughs> but right now, I, I, I was tempted not really to listen to you because it happens at times. But I have to call. Now you anyway, know how I feel. Whatever the person before me said, I back him up 100. percent I'm a product of just leaving the, the field that used to be the agriculture agriculture only when I was growing up. My father wanted you have to go to vacation. You got to go to school. You got to be a worker in the industry so you get a secure pay. Now, of course, this is very important for anyone. In fact, you should have Mike Porcelli have a little bit during the day about, you know, all of the programs, the vocational high school. I came, when I came from Italy, I went to women's school to pick up, and that's what made me pick up English because I felt it was so foolish. In Italy, we didn't see the teacher write every word. 
And I used to copy and everything, and now I can speak just like a, I mean, like I went to college. But it doesn't matter. That's for me to not for me to judge. I can fix anything from it to Z. I was in the field fixing bridges and tunnels. I mean, my career. Right now, I can do A to Z. I can work like a laborer for under fifty dollars, two hundred dollars a day. I can everything A to Z. Mass no. No person came only to read the mirrors. Years ago, they had to come down and read the mirror in the basement. That's the only people that came. I was on the roof, in the basement, in the yard, put in the windows, everything A to Z. Now, I'm start now. I got a brand new house. But if I have friends and they need help, you might need a little bit of my teaching. You're good in everything else. Probably you can hold the screwdriver like you should. <laughs> because people, need you give a screwdriver to the people today, they don't know how to use it. They can hurt themselves. And they cannot the one next to themselves, them. Because the tool you have to use, you have to be part of it. Not everybody has to go to college. The college is all born. You, know? don't have to, you don't need to go to college for to work. If you have, can use tools, you create from nothing. You saw my boat when I marched to Columbus. I made it from cardboard in two hours. No, it's a very, very impressive. John Vito, not, uh, hey, hey, thank you. I got, uh, I got Noam Laden waiting in the wings. I appreciate the call and your boat-making acumen. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your calls a bit later. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Until the top of the hour, playing a lot of 80s music in honor of my friend Carmine Ramundi's birthday. Happy birthday, Carmine Ramundi. Uh, we'll get back to your calls in just a bit, but first... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Orlando, Florida. This huge story, I wouldn't call it breaking news, but surprising to so many lawmakers there. 
a leader of an Orlando school walks into a classroom. He's called to this classroom, fourth graders, where they're acting out in class by the teacher who can't handle it anymore. He comes in and he spanks almost every one of the kids in the classroom oh who is acting out. And the spanking was uh, apparently so bad. I mean, he hit them. Uh, that the local attorney general, this, the county general, came in and said, oh, I might need to file charges and press charges against the leader of the school. But they come to find out, and so many Florida lawmakers were surprised by this, that Florida still allows corporal punishment in its schools. That was going to be my first question. Yes. So no charges are going to be filed against the leader of this school in Orlando, even though some parents say they should be for having their kids spanked. But the parents just as surprised as well that this is still uh, actionable. You can do this in a Florida school. And in fact, uh, every year, the number of people who get spanked has gone down. They keep records when they can. Of course, not all of the they're not collecting all the data because not all the schools report. But there were 67 public schools where 509 students faced corporal punishment punishments or corporal spankings, I should say, for their actions with inside schools. There are uh, 18 states across the country that still have corporal punishment on the books. Almost all of them in the South. Uh, Again, they also apparently collect data, but only can collect data when school reports it. And in some of those states, parents were like, I'm okay with that. If the teacher wants to take action against my kids for misbehaving in class, go ahead. But in the school in Orlando, the parents were very surprised to find out that this administrator is not going to face any charges for hitting their kids. Well, aside from the criminal charges, is he facing any sort of internal school uh, problems? Mm -hmm. So, So no, everything he did was in accordance with the rules and the law. A well-liked administrator who apparently had done this before, but maybe it wasn't so many students at the same time. It was one here, one there, but in this case, it was almost a whole class of students. No charges, but you do have lawmakers across the street who were just as surprised as those ones in Orlando. They said, wait a minute, corporal punishment is still on the books, and so now uh, they're going to try to push through some sort of bill that maybe will take that away. I am looking at the states that allow corporal punishment. I'm seeing 17 states allowing Hmm. corporal punishment, at least as of last year. Maybe some of them did away with it. But um, it is interesting. Florida, don't they ban almost every type of book there, but they still allow corporal punishment? They do. My goodness. I wonder how all the transplanted New Yorkers that are moving there, and I know many, and I may investigate this myself, how they're feeling going from a a jurisdiction that didn't allow corporal punishment to going to school systems where they allow you to spank your kids. Yeah, I can't imagine that there, I mean, I would be outraged to know that somebody had touched my kid in the classroom because that wasn't the way I doled out punishment to my kids. I guess you got to think about that before you move to Florida. Yeah, so Florida may not be the place to go. A severely burned woman in India was uh, thought to be dead. Boy, we get these stories so often, but it's amazing how many there are of them. So she was uh, uh, had suffered these terrible burns over like almost all of her body in a fire, and they were bringing her to have her cremated. And on her way there, you know what's going to happen here. All of a sudden, this hearse is taking her to carry her to this cremation to prepare her body for cremation. 
and she wakes up, and the person who is driving the hearse said he had never, ever in all the history of driving this hearse had had this happen to him. So shocking discovery. He brings her back to the hospital, and she's not going to be okay, but she's still alive. I mean, she's bad shape. Then we come to find out how often this happens. So Mm. in February of last year, an 82-year-old woman rose from the dead on Long Island after she was pronounced dead at the Water's Edge Rehab and Nursing Center. That's in uh, Port Jefferson out of Long Island. She um, was brought to the funeral home uh, about 10 minutes away. And when they unzipped the bag, she was struggling to breathe. So she was alive. Uh, so then there was an Iowa one that just the previous week, this is all in the last, you know, last year or so. This one just a week or two ago in Iowa, nursing home fined for $10,000, similarly pronouncing a hospice patient dead, shipping her to um, a uh, funeral home. And when the funeral home unzipped the bag there, this was a 66-year-old woman inside. They found her gasping for air. She was still alive. So, you know, usually you have to give some sort of death certificate before you can have a cremation or hand it over to a funeral home. But here's three examples just in the last year of people who were alive. Now, by the way, none of them in great shape. They're still alive, but, you know, I don't know quality of life they're leading. Do we know, and I don't know that this, this is a statistic that anybody keeps track of, do we know if this is any more or less prevalent than it was 30 or 40 years ago, getting ready to bury living people, essentially, either in this country around the, or around the world? Don't know the answer to that. I'm hoping this is a problem that is improving over right. time. I, if I had to guess, and I don't know, I'd have to go research it, and maybe I will, is it's probably no different than it was 30, 40 years right. ago. Hey, Once in a while, it happens. If you're alive and somebody once tried to bury you, <laughs> give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. And uh, Mitch McConnell, you do not need to call. We'll take your word. We already know. Yes. Yeah. One last short one. This is kind of cute. This is a, a, a growing trend at dentist's office across the country. Started in this one in downtown Minneapolis where, you know, people are just skittish as ever to go to the dentist. They always have been. And so this dental office in Minneapolis found that if you brought in a dog and you put the dog on a patient's lap, they were more mellow. They were more willing to sit through the procedure. And so now we've seen 10 different offices across the country have followed the mm. lead of this one in Minneapolis. That started doing it at the end of last year say they have the same sort of reaction. Patients say they love having a dog on their lap, petting them, the dog licking them. That it makes the dental procedure a whole lot more tolerable. I think that's uh, I think that's great. You know, I think um, you know I'm a dog person, and I could see a lot of people, especially children really who are anxious about uh, getting a cavity filled or something along those lines, having a better experience if there's a dog involved. I like going to the dentist. Maybe it's because I've never had any of these dental procedures, uh, root canal or uh, anything like that. But um, I don't don't mind it, but I know a lot of people, these two guys behind the glass, they haven't been to the dentist since Bill Clinton was president. Oh, you're kidding. I mean, they're they're in a bad way. They're going to be in a bad way at some point. Yeah, no doubt. Have you ever had any of those uh, weird dental things? I have. Not weird, but tough dental things. Yeah, yeah, and you just sort of have to sit there and deal with it, you know? They yeah. give you. They shoot you up with enough Novocaine. You're feeling all right. Yeah, I had wisdom <laughs> teeth pulled, but like yeah. you said, they give you that local anesthetic. Yeah. It's uh, it's no big deal. Uh, well, thank you, Noam. Sure. It's great to have you back. We missed thank you, you yesterday. Thanks. Yeah. And now you know the rest of the story. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Jerry is in the Queens. Hi, Jerry. 
Hi, Frank. How are you this morning? You sound great. Thank you. I'd like to comment about that town in Maine. That is absolutely fabulous what they've been able to accomplish. They're developing a portion of the brain that, unfortunately, in the normal school system is not uh, touched. And uh, the other thing you mentioned about this town, uh, that the, the loss of the uh, lobster industry and then the coming of the, uh, what is it, the wind tunnels, right. those oh, wind, wind turbines, right. that's, that's horrible. I'm familiar with that area, Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor, because my husband's an artist, and we were up there five different times. It's very picturesque, and obviously uh, lots of scenery, beautiful scenery for artists. And uh, the the the, uh, the the building of the wind tunnels—that's just just a horrible thought to me because I can see how that the picturesque area of the coast of Maine will be damaged. And I'm sorry to hear about the loss of the lobster industry. The lobsters are fantastic. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to say very quickly: the loss of the vocational schooling system in New York City. A terrible, a, ter- a terrible loss to us. And obviously, you were a product of the New York City school system, and you have difficulty with little tasks around the house. So I'm, I'm all for what they've accomplished. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And thank you for reporting on that. It's a wa- go to Maine and get sh- make sure you go to Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor. Uh, They're very picturesque areas. I'd like wonderful. to, Jerry. Uh, thank you. I agree with everything you said. 800-848-9222. Joaquin in Pennsylvania has been waiting very patiently. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank. I'm one of those guys who's turning 65 this year. Oh, wonderful. You're part of that silver tsunami. Yes. Now, you know, you, you do like to kind of mock my infirmities, but do you know that two and a half to three years ago, I did up to 850 push-ups a day? 850? Yes. Every, Every day? Time. Not every day. No, I did between. I, I was I was going for the record of Herschel Walker of a thousand, and I was doing a couple hundred every day. And when he said he did a thousand a day, I made it a goal to try and do a thousand. Wow! I think I was eight hundred fifty. Uh, that is uh, quite impressive. Way to go! Now, unfortunately, due to my injury when I was seventeen years old, getting shot, my body's been debilitating over the last two years. You know, two and a half years, at an astronomical rate. So I'm not, you know. I'm not in any kind of good shape right now, but, you know, I'm one of those older guys that the younger guys tend to gravitate towards. Now, I know you say you wear a fedora. I always wore a cowboy hat, and everybody calls me cowboy. And uh, so my, I always muse that if I wanted to, I could raise an army of young guys. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Hey, Joaquin, uh, congratulations on the until recently um, impressive push-up prowess. Way to go. And I'm glad you turned 65 this year. You're, you're part of that silver tsunami, and pretty soon you're going to have all the power. That's great. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. We'll do uh, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. When the lights 
fields go wrong In the darkness you might need a place to hide If the days are long When the sun goes down You might need a place to call your own Somewhere out there on the other side of me The other side of midnight by Stevie G and the Super Bowl viewers, uh, an instant classic, if ever there was one. Uh, this guy retired on this song, did so well with this song, became such a big hit, doesn't have to work again, or he just chooses not to work again. One of the two. All right, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity. Hey, tomorrow, uh, Dr. Sky is going to be here. They just discovered what is very likely the brightest thing in the galaxy. That's pretty cool. We'll talk about that with him. And uh, Congressman Tom McClintock is scheduled to join us as well, making his debut on the program. Uh, I've been an admirer of his for a long time. Looking forward to talking with him. But first... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Mike! Morning, Frank. Carmine's insomnia cure put a transistor radio in his room, set it to WABC 77. Have mom turn it on at 1 a.m. He'll sleep like a baby. And if he doesn't, you can discuss the high and low points of the show when you get home. Raji. Naughty, naughty. Mahabha, America. As Gaza is being annihilated, tens of thousands of homeless refugees are already pouring into President Biden's generous America. Gene. Robert. Vocational education should be required in all secondary schools. And there are many state programs, probably in every state, that will help you get vocational training. Ralph. Legends Diner, Secaucus, New Jersey. The best old-fashioned tin diner adorned with black and white photos of Hollywood legends with the best food, prices. Ray. Sid was on Mark Levin last night. What a great interview. I hope the truck is sticking to the city. Rusty. Yeah, to the listeners. This guy senses everything. Don't waste your time calling. It takes at least 10 minutes to get on the show. Practice what you preach. Charles. Two, elder, two elderly Jewish men decide to meet in the park. On a cold winter morning, they're both sitting, not saying anything. Finally, Sam says to Chaim, say something. He says, nah, you freeze your hands off. <laughs> On that note, Frank Morano, good day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.